Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we go. All right, all right, enough of that music. <clears throat> so what were you laughing at just now, Kyle? I, during the, the intro, I took, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was wondering about um, whether I should mute our mics during the, while the intro is playing. Oh, that's a little <laughs> troll from a guy who I personally enjoy named Jim Goad. He had a podcast. He still has a podcast. It's a different podcast, but... He had a podcast, and people always complained about him like slurping his drink. So oh, yeah. he would do it intentionally oh, just gosh. to irritate yeah. them. Like when Joe used to uh, complain that the that the the bulletproof coffee m- oh, would make him clear his throat all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I got a piece of news, uh, a piece of podcast news that nobody's going to give a shit about, but I'm excited about. Let's hear it. Um, I have officially made the down payment on the office that will be built that will become the podcast studio so shit for all the people who listen and hear the babies crying and the dogs barking sometimes for five minutes nonstop in the background that pisses me off so bad i don't know if you noticed but it drives me absolutely up a wall uh we're, (laughs) we're gonna have this this same obviously basement over there uh, it's going to be super well insulated and uh, quiet, and so that's my hope. And then we'll have the direct internet connection, so everything will be fast. I'll have my office down here, the microphones down here. That's going to be the, the the thing. And I'll have a place to hang all my um, all my Alex Gray paintings, which Fuck are yeah, surrounding dude. us right now. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool as hell. Yep. This so the studio. Studio. So I feel like I feel like a super low budget version of Joe Rogan right now, talking about the podcast studio. Hell yeah, dude! We can start saying things like we're going to go put it on wax. Put it. On you what? Know, you don't know that? On wax? W-A-X? Yeah, yeah. it's uh. like people would say that when they're going to go press an album. Oh. You'll put it uh, on wax. So uh, young Jamie said something the other day that I never heard before. It was uh, slang. And, okay. now, and now I'm trying to remember it. Um, something to do with dying or some new slang that I never heard before and he brought it up and Joe's like oh is that something from black twitter or whatever this is just another one of those examples uh, how we were talking about the other day that I I am not, not only am I not an early adopter of things but I'm starting to feel much less compelled to keep up with pop, you know popular culture mm-hmm. and that's one thing it's like uh you know it's just another example it's just another example I'm talking with my hands I'm talking with my hands <laughs> you right doing now. some Jordan Peterson <laughs> stuff um yeah I think that, uh, I mean, I like to stay on top of the culture stuff a little. I mean, again, I don't really, like, want to stay on top of what the Kardashians are doing. It's not like I'm that into culture, but I just like to keep my finger on the pulse of culture because I think that... There, you know, we did the episode on um, Michael Malice and Jordan Peterson last week. Michael Malice frequently talks about... uh, Do you know who Andrew Breitbart is? Yeah. 
Yeah. He, he's dead now. He started yeah. the, the news the, website, the website, Breitbart. Breitbart.com. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, he had this quote that politics is downstream of culture. And Michael Malice like mm-hmm. hits that all the time. And I think that it's very true. Um, it is It is true. Uh, so that's that's one reason that I just like to keep, like I said, my finger on the pulse of culture a little bit. So um, I, I like, I'm interested in language. Mm-hmm. So when there's new slang words that come up, I'm always interested to hear what they mean. And I, even if I just laugh at it, like that's ridiculous. Um, I like to, because there's something about that that's interesting to me, how the language is changing, these new words that are coming up. Um, I, and I don't, I don't want to date myself here, but on fleek is something I don't, I don't Dude, understand. That's like old at this point. <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah. And that's one of those ones that came up and I'm like, nope, it's not for me. This word is not for me. So something the kids say now instead of like on fleek or something, like let's say, they they would use this term for a bunch of different things. Like if they eat a sandwich and it's good, they'll say this. Or if they listen to a song and it's good, they'll say this. They say that smacks. <laughs> that smacks. Yeah. So I mean, it's like one of those things where like I I understand I understand that what they're getting at. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, it makes intuitive sense. That smacks. If it's you ate something good and you're smacking your lips, or if you heard heard a good song and you're smacking your hands, it it has it it. The connection with the word is enthusiasm and um, satisfaction and something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the, my intuition when I hear it in the context, and I, I like that about slang because I find it interesting and, and funny for some reason. But I also find it ridiculous. We are. I'm right there with you, dude. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I it's interesting to me in the same way that it is you, but at the same time. I almost feel like a boomer, like old curmudgeonly man. Like, why do we need to keep finding new ways to say these same fucking things? Mm. You know, like that's cool. That smacks. It's like, it's the same thing. (laughs) It does. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I wasn't using the same slang as my dad, you know, like I I probably thought the slang my dad used was probably, you know, I probably thought it was lame. It was lame. Yeah. So (laughs) uh, another thing they say is that hits different. And the meaning is? It's like the same thing. It's unique? I mean, it or... can be... Yeah, it, that's a good way of describing it. It's unique. You know, it's. I guess it's not always that it's good, like it smacks. Yeah. But they people say that all the time, too. That hits different. Yeah, it might hit you. Things hit you. You yeah. know, beat hits you, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, things hit you, for sure. And smack is just another word for hit. True. It's interesting, man. It's like um, it's like in the Arctic, the uh, Inuit and Eskimo tribes or whatever. And I... I know there's a difference, and I just don't understand it. So I'm trying to be sensitive here. I don't know. But those people that live in the Arctic, the native people that live there, um, one of those languages, I, I read someplace or heard someplace, they have something like 17 words for snow. Yeah. So there's 17 different kinds of snow. And if you live in a place that has, um, well, obviously that cold where snow is that important, they're building their houses out of snow, you know, they're they're yeah. they ha- they're riding on snow with their freaking... uh Pee. <laughs> With their, no, with, with their pee, with their dogs. Oh, with their yeah. fucking dogs. Oh, I thought you said writing. Oh, ri- writing, writing. All that shit. I was like, what else are you going to write in the snow with? They freeze They freeze their food, and they eat like, like uh, what is it, like um, blubber and, and, um, uh, from whales and uh, seal, seal fat. Yeah. They freeze it because it's f- fucking cold there. You got to freeze and it. And they eat it frozen. They, that's how they, they eat it. They don't cook it. They just eat, <laughs> they eat it like that. God, savages. The point is. I mean, in a good way. Right. And then you you might imagine what I mean I can't imagine never been there but what the weather must be like when the wind is blowing when it gets a little bit warmer there's all these different kinds of snow snow that's good for riding on snow that's good for this sure. or bad for that so they have they have a reason to know intricate details about the snow yeah. so they have a reason to have 17 different names for it where we don't 
Yeah. We just say snow. It's all snow to us. That's one thing that I've noticed. Hold uh, on. Okay, no, yeah, Sorry. finish, yeah. Uh, the, the point is, we were talking about slang mm-hmm. and coming up with new words, and you, and you asked the question, why, why do I need another word for cool? It's mm. been good since 1960. True. And I think there's something about that where when we have new words, that we have new ways of manipulating meaning. Mm-hmm. And so it's something like it gives clarity and, and more combinations, more possibilities if you have 17 words for snow. So maybe we have 17 words for cool, and all of a sudden cool has all these, all these uh, intricacies and, and stuff that different kinds of cool, you know? Yeah. It's almost like we're inventing a whole new concepts with, the, with language. Yep. Something like that. that. That's one thing. It's funny that you point that out, and it, the way you explain it makes perfect sense to me because I've had that thought before about other languages and one thing about English is English has been, over the course of its history, has, you know, through conquest and through lots of things, has been forced and chosen to adapt a lot of stuff into English. You know, English is oh. a huge language. Yep. Um, and that's one thing I'll notice about, like, you know, Spanish or some other languages. It's like sometimes they have, like, they have like a word that means hot, but that word also means warm. You know, it's right, like, I right. mean, I'm sure that like, if you really get into the intricate, like somebody who's fluent in Spanish can probably give you a word that means warm and not hot. But right. like, uh, if you type, um, you know, this is warm and this is hot into like Google translate, a lot of the times you'll get the same, the same that's, words back. That's interesting. And, yeah. it, and it makes you wonder, is it more difficult to think about, about temperature in a, in a, like a like an intricate, careful way. If you don't only have one word for it, yeah. you know, it, it changes how you can think about something. Yep. And there's something about that. And this is that, this is that thing that we were, I, like we were resisting the postmodern stuff, but that's a good point about it. You know, the, yeah, that, I wasn't even thinking about it in those terms, but yeah, that's, that's true. Language is important, man. Yeah, man. This one time, this dude that I work with, Joe, we work with a couple of Mexican fellas and it was a hot day out and he was like, man, it's caliente out here, but caliente <laughs> means spicy, not hot. It's <laughs> <laughs> spicy out here. That's I like that. Itself. I like that. So I've been reading uh, Maps of Meaning again because I've been doing these Maps of Meaning lectures. Yeah, man. I got to tear through part three. You should. Uh, you should. So I, I'm working on part four right now, getting close to done with it, and then I'll be able to f- refine it and then record it. But um, well, I was going somewhere with this. Oh, shit. It'll come back to me. Let's keep talking. All right. Um, I wanted to tell you about a dream I had. All right. Let's okay. hear about it. Uh, well, so this was not this morning, but yesterday morning. Had kind of a long night. Uh, the young the young baby was up, so they didn't sleep really well. And in the morning, my wife went downstairs, and I let me just let, stay in bed. So God bless her. Sometimes she'll do that on the weekends where she'll get up first and just let me, you know, I'll get, get up whenever you want to get up. It's not like I'm ever not out of bed by eight o'clock, yeah. but it's just one of those things where, you know, the difference between six o'clock and oh, eight o'clock is yeah. a big deal. Absolutely. So I'm laying there in bed. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm super tired. So I, what I'm doing is I'm in one of these moments where I'm, uh, I'm like falling in and out of sleep. So I, I, I keep telling myself, you got to get up. Mm-hmm. Your wife's downstairs taking care of the kids by herself. You got responsibilities. You got to help her. You, you know, I'm putting that pressure on myself. But meanwhile, I'm fucking tired, <laughs> yeah. man. So anyway, I keep, I keep like, you know, opening my eyes like, yeah, time to get up. No, give it a minute. Yeah. Come on, Chris, get up. So here I am. I'm like going in and out of sleep. And this is what happens, man. I get this weird feeling that every time I open, it's hard to explain. I'm going to do my best. Every time I opened my eyes and I could see and I was conscious again, I felt like I was taking something from 
the experience of being awake, like something physical, like I was taking something like raw materials from my awake self. And then when I would close my eyes, I was going back into dream world and I was using that to build something. That's crazy. And every time I would open up my eyes, I'm like, oh, I got to get some more stuff. And then I close my eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I don't have any memory of the dream. It's not like I remember what the dream was or what I was building. I only remembered the sensation that I, whatever it was I was taking from the consciousness, when I closed my eyes, I was using it to build something. And I didn't know what it was. It was a secret thing because it was in my, it was in my dream world. It was in the world that's not connected to my waking world. So it was, it was like a behind a screen that I couldn't see. Whatever I was building was a mystery to me. And when I came, when I was awake, I knew I was building something, but I didn't know what it was. It was in my dream world. That's crazy. Dude, it was so weird. That is weird as hell, man. For, for, for many reasons. For reason number one is that I wasn't taking anything with me. I was just opening my eyes and seeing the world. Mm -hmm. Then I was closing my eyes and somehow I felt as though I was taking something into my dream world with me. Something that I took from the experience of being awake from uh, consciousness. Yeah. I was taking consciousness with me to, to the unconscious world and building something there. Yeah. Uh, so what's the other reason? Um, boy, I lost my train of thought. Um, because, well, because there was nothing tangible I was taking with me and because I couldn't see what it was I was building. Yeah, that is weird. It's weird. And it reminds me, uh, and okay, this is maybe why, this is maybe an explanation. The part of the maps of meaning that I'm working on now mm -hmm. is where Jordan's talking about how we build, that we create the reality we live in, in a way that we don't understand, in a way that when you start asking questions and getting into it becomes really fucking mystical and hard to pin down. The, the idea is this, like we already talked about, that we don't know what the objective world is. Whatever it is, is really a mystery. All we're experiencing is our subjective world. So the world we're experiencing is like our inner world that we think is, is associated with the outer world. But in reality, we don't really have any way of verifying that that's really what is out there, it, objectively. Yeah. So what Jordan says is that the world that we build in our heads, that that's the only world we really know, and that we build that world. So he's, he's like, look, um, you, you come to understand things that are unknown. You go out, you go out, you know, like whatever, when you're a baby and you're learning all these new things for the first time, you're developing skills and you're, you know, accumulating knowledge about the world. That as you do that, you're taking, you're taking the world that you didn't know at all five minutes ago and you're, and you're creating known things out of it, whatever. Things that are familiar to you, your mother, you know, milk, whatever, toys, whatever it is. And as you're getting to know those things, they're starting to populate your world. Mm. So before you didn't have any understanding of anything. Oh. It was like it was like no, nothing made any sense. And then suddenly, suddenly you know you have fingers, and now your world has fingers in it. You know, as your baby, you know you, yeah. you come to you come to have control over your fingers. Then then you can grab objects, and suddenly there's objects in the world. Yeah. So it's little by little, we build our world like that. Mm -hmm. Now it, it doesn't explain what the subject what the objective world is. It doesn't explain that at all. It just tells you that whatever whatever the um, whatever the subjective world is you're living in inside your head is something that you slowly created somehow in your psyche. I don't understand it. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but the point is, I've been really steeped in this idea of building the world, and then here I had this dream where I'm going into I'm 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 building something in my in my unconscious. Mm -hmm. So I it has to be connected to this, you know, because I've been. I've been focused on this for, for a few days. Yeah. I'm guessing that it has some reason why I had this dream, but it's a weird dream, man. It's like you had this dream that you were taking things from reality 
or from consciousness into unconsciousness and you kind of did take that peterson thing from consciousness and in like you know turned it into a dream you know what i mean that's interesting oh um, man that's an interesting way of looking at it um peters so, go ahead let me let me ask let me ask you this question so you you just made this uh illustration that i took things from uh, my conscious world and i used them to to have this dream to build to build this fantasy thing that i had this dream mm -hmm. do you the thing that I find interesting about that is that I, I did do that, mm -hmm. and that's what we do when we dream. We we have references of things that we experienced, and we and we populate this fantasy world that seems real to us when we're when we're when we're in the dream. Um, my question is, can the opposite be true? Can you take things out of unconsciousness and bring them into consciousness? Yes, be because that description is how I believe the the world was created. Like liter yeah. literally, that's what I believe. Yeah, I think I kind of believe that it's still being created that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I knew that you believe that too. Interesting, man. Yeah. So if it's possible for me to have experiences in consciousness and use those experiences subconsciously to like to like live in this dream world temporarily while I'm sleeping, if it's possible to do that, might it be possible to do it the other way? Meaning, could we start with something that's unmaterial, like the unconscious, like this psyche, like this world of psyche, whatever that is, and that's a fucking mystery that I want to get to the bottom of. Yeah. What is that? Um, and you, you can, you can bring things from it into the material world and to create this thing that we exist in. So something like that is how I believe, uh, you know, the the quote unquote creation is is really should be understood. Yeah. But it's just an interesting connection and a fucking weird dream, man. It. it, it it was so weird that I like kept kept thinking about it. It kept coming back in my head, and I'm like, I, I got to talk to Kyle about. That's this. a weird dream. Yeah. That's a cool dream too. It's like, a, I don't know. It's like, I feel like a lot of dreams are just kind of uh, non sequitur and boring. But that that's like cool, man. I don't it know. Cool. There's something something interesting about that. Yeah. So I really want to know what I was building. I want yeah. I want to know if I can get a peek at it. And uh, like I, I've known people. I say people. I knew a person who had uh, whatever they call those dreams. What do they call those dreams where you pick it up the next night? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know, Wh continuous or yeah, episodic. What, yeah, or whatever whatever it is. Yeah. So I knew a guy, my ex-wife's uh, dad, okay. who would have dreams, and he'd have very interesting detailed dreams. He could remember lots of details about them. And then when he would go to sleep the next night, he would just pick it back up where he left off. Yeah. So he would tell these crazy, bizarre stories like most people would tell if they were describing a dream, but his are epic yeah. because they just keep going. Yeah. So imagine if I could do that, or if it was if you could learn to do that, that'd be amazing. If I could do that, I wonder, could I keep going back? Could I keep going, trying to go back to this place until I could see what the fuck it was I was building? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know, but that I can't. Would, I can't, I never, I mean. Maybe, I, maybe you'll be able to, you gotta practice. Mm -hmm. You know, they say, uh, like lucid dreaming takes practice. It's yeah. like anyone can do it. You just have to. It, there's like a method, you know. Yep. So maybe you can. I've heard things about it. I've heard. I've heard that if you uh, wake up in the morning and you write your dreams down immediately, so you mm -hmm. keep pa pad of paper or whatever, or you know, uh, I told you I use that app Ferrite. Yeah. I just record my voice right on my on my phone, so that's even easier because you don't have to think about what you're writing. Sometimes thinking about what you're writing seems to like be part of the part of the process that makes you forget your dreams i think i agree with that yeah. so, but if you could just talk if you could just wake up and say oh, i was running through the woods and i <laughs> fell yeah, over yeah. i fell over a stump and a dragon came out of the, whatever the dream is like yeah. if you could just get it out real quick the point is if, if you practice that where you where you try to get the dream onto paper uh immediately that you'll get better and better at at being able to recall them mm -hmm. uh so i heard that 
And then the other thing I heard is that you can't, that the part of your brain that reads, that can read language, is not, it doesn't function while you're sleeping. So if you want to know that you're dreaming, if you want to, if you want to intentionally catch yourself dreaming so that you can be um, lucid, if you, you can like control your dream or, or be aware that you're not, a, not, you're not dreaming in your dream, that one of the things you can do is look for something with writing on it and try to read it Ooh, okay. because you won't be able to make sense of the writing yeah, if you're dreaming. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, I've heard things like, uh, like to set up habits in your waking life that like... Like, let's say every time you leave your bedroom door or your bedroom, you, like, knock on the wall right by the door twice. That's mm. just – you do that every time in waking life. And in dreams, it's like your hand will go, like, right through the wall. You know, it's like – you know, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Sit. Something and to catch so your attention. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so since you're so, like, sit, in tune with doing it from real life in waking, in waking life all the time, it's, like, noticeable in the dream. It's like, whoa, you know? yeah. That reminds me of Inception yeah, with, with, the, with the top, spinning sure. the top. Yeah, that's good. What yep. a, what Christopher, shout out to Christopher Nolan. That's a bad man. motherfucker, man. God. So uh, I was thinking some really like woo-woo shit. Like imagine if you were actually building something in like another dimension. <laughs> you know, like I imagine like a Chris pops into this basement right now is like, Take it in the toe. <laughs> you know, all the stuff that you're taking from your room, like dresser drawer. You know, like I don't know what you've got up there, what you were bringing, uh, but you know. No, I was just picturing like a contact moment where whatever I'm building, you remember the movie Contact? Mm. Like whatever I'm building you forget? is the ship that takes me to the next oh, dimension. Yeah. And when you said another Chris pops up at the basement, <laughs> I just I was just imagining, get in the time machine. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, that'd be cool. Uh, I, I do wonder about that shit though, like different dimensions and like I don't know, like dreaming and diff- I don't know, you know. Let me let me tell you about something I've been tossing around. I hesitate to even talk about this um, because I, I like to think about it more before I bring it up. Sure, but let me just do it. Let me just do it anyway. So I was thinking about, uh, well, what we were just talking about, the way I understand, like how the the reality was was born, you know, how this all got here, how we got here, you know, the creation, if you want to call it that. Although I'm not married to that word. Sure. Um, that okay how do, how do I even put this um okay so ooh, it's convoluted it's convoluted Kyle but okay so the idea here is something like this from the mystic experience one of the things that most important thing you take from that is that everything is one whatever God is that's what that's what everything is there's nothing mm-hmm. else so there's this idea that um there's this idea that God I'll just try to simplify this that God created the material world, the, wor- the world that exists, that you and I exist in, created it from itself. So whatever that means, I don't know exactly, but whatever God is created the, the cosmos from itself. Mm-hmm. And the way that, I un- ha- that I'm understanding this is as a projection within the psyche. So like the, if, you and, if you and I close our eyes right now and I say, picture a black cat. And there's some sort of image that appears in your mind. Not really, but kind of, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes if I, if I say, okay, now the cat is walking across a wall, and then it's like, bam, you got that image in your head. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then it's, the cat gets scared by something and, and jumps off the wall. You can see it, as I tell you, if yep. you try. That this is what I'm saying here, is that, that the cosmos was created as a projection within the psyche of God. And that's another way for, of, of, another way for me to say consciousness. Okay, so... It's like this. 
all of material reality, the infinite expansive cosmos, and all of the stars and black holes and matter and energy and you and I and everything that's in here that's maybe infinite as far as we know. We don't, we don't know where the, where the boundaries are. That all of that is happening in psyche. Okay? So it's like the place that things exist in, the cosmos, that that place is the imagination. Something like that. Yeah. And then there's this weird... There's this weird part of that that's like, okay, you have all these scientists, super smart people, studying the cosmos. Mm -hmm. They're like studying space and time and the different dimensions and string theory and crashing atoms together and seeing what kind of shit comes out of it. And they're, they're doing all this careful research trying to figure out what this imagination is made of. Yeah. You know? It's like, dude, you might be studying the wrong thing. If you're, yeah. tr if you're trying, if you're trying to figure out where the world came from, you might want to study consciousness and stop, yeah. stop studying this pretend place that we exist in. Yeah. That's kind of like something like that is what, I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. I just don't like, how do you, I, I mean, I guess you study consciousness in the way that we study consciousness. Just, I, I guess you just go more deeply into it, but like, what does studying consciousness mean to you? That's a great question, man. Um, you know, I don't know, man, what comes to my mind to be like, if I was trying to figure, if I believed that everything was really made of consciousness, made from consciousness and existing within consciousness, which is, which I believe, mm -hmm. then there, there's nothing more important to understand than consciousness. Sure. So how would you go about studying that? So it seems to me that this is why I think Jordan Peterson has so much appeal to me is because psychology seems to be so much uh, of a, of a window into consciousness Yeah. that if I could understand, if I can understand how um, the structure of my thinking and even the biological part, like my brain and the chemicals and all that, to understand that, but also to understand how ideas, you know, um, interact, how they're created, um, you know, all the structure of thinking, that if I could study people and their interactions and their thinking, that I could, I could derive something about consciousness. Sure. And if I studied other living creatures, yeah. that I could derive even more uh, uh, gen generalizations about what it is to be aware. Um, but I don't have many ideas after that. Yeah. I think I agree in the sense that psychology is the exploration of, you know, the human mind. Well, the exploration, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and I kind of think that that's, if we're trying to explore consciousness, that's really the only avenue we have, you know? I mean, um, right. you know, breaking open a rock. I mean, if you believe that everything is made of consciousness, then I guess in some way that's studying consciousness. But studying, I, I don't know, studying a consciousness that's going to give you feedback on, I don't know, like the things that you're talking about, I think it kind of has to be humans on some level. Mm. We, ha we have to figure out how to measure and manipulate consciousness. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's like, maybe that's what we're doing right now. Like, like maybe it's, maybe it seems more complicated than it is. Maybe it's harder than we're making it, Kyle. <laughs> maybe. But the other thing that comes to mind is psychedelics is, you know, if you're going to study the mind and, and this is the thing that drives me nuts, and I've said it before, that when Joe Rogan uses the word mind, that he means brain, and that there's a different word for, for brain. Yeah. Like, mind is not the same thing as brain. No. Um, so, but, but if you study how consciousness is impacted by psychedelics, 
I mean, I don't know, man. What what are you what are you learning there? Are you learning how the brain responds to a chemical, or are you learning are you learning about a new potential of consciousness? Like it's it's like you, the thing that you are, the consciousness that you are, is capable of being this whole other thing under the influence of these psychedelics. So what are you learning? Are you learning about the potential, about some something that's possible uh, within consciousness? Yeah. Or are you just learning about how the chemical, what the chemical does to your f- biology? The way that I think about that is that what you are learning from that is what you are trying to learn from it. So mm. if you are the kind of person who's like, oh, it's just chemicals in your brain, bro. It's nothing. Mm. Then that's what you're going to learn. You're going to, you're going to, that's what you're going to look for. You're not going to see any of the other stuff. And I also think that that's kind of true for the other side. Like if you want to see the woo woo side of it, which I mean, I don't really think it's woo woo, but you know, that's what the other side would say. If that's what you want to see, that's all you're going to see. That being said, I do think that the woo woo side of it is more open-minded to the other part of it than the, uh, that, than the, yeah. the hard science is to the woo woo. Oh, you're very true about that. And that is a, that is a problem. Yeah. I, I think that, the frontiers of science could be expanded and we could have some serious progress in all sorts of ways if people who, who these hardline scientists, empiricists, if yeah. those guys were just a little bit more flexible, a little bit more creative. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing, man. It's like, are scientists creative? Some of them, yeah, I think. Or, I think. or is it like the oddball? Is like the creative scientist, yeah. like the Tesla? Is, yeah. it, is it like the oddball okay. guy that gets um, diminished and he turns into a crazy man that dies in a hotel by himself, like Tesla did? Well, you know, it's you know the Pareto principle um, that the you know there's going to be a bunch of scientists and only a few of them are going to contribute like really groundbreaking shit. Right. And I think that the ones who contribute the really groundbreaking shit are probably as we've said before, not the bean counters. You know, they're not the guys breaking open rocks and strictly being like, this is all there is. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's all speculation. I'm not a scientist. Mm. Sorry, man. This is this idea is distracting me. So let me just say it. What What do you think about the... We were just talking about, like, studying the mind. Mm-hmm. Or the, I say mind. And I guess what I mean by that in this context is the brain and how it functions, but also how it's related to, to consciousness. Um, isn't it strange that that the thing that's trying to figure out what the mind is and how it works is the mind? Yeah, that is weird. It's almost like, is that possible? You know, that's a great question. Can something understand itself? I mean, I don't know. Well, that that's the analogy that I'm trying to make. It's like I believe that material reality is consciousness. Yeah, and you and I are consciousness trying to understand consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know. So the thing that's trying to understand itself is the thing that we're trying to understand. Jesus Christ, man. Mm-hmm. That's that fractal. That's that weird thing that's like it makes my brain like temporarily shut down when I say it. It's just like it's a paradox. It's some kind of a paradox. So I wonder, we've talked about before about in other podcasts about consciousness and like human consciousness particularly being like, what am I trying to say? That our consciousness is controlled by some kind of a valve. You know what mm, I mean? Yes. Like we don't we don't have access to everything. So I and I would say that we and again this is just speculation because I've never interviewed a dog. I've never had a conversation <laughs> with a dog. But I would believe that we have a higher level of consciousness than a dog or an ant or something like that on some level. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder, are there things that have higher levels of consciousness than we do? 
So this is funny, and th- th- this is something that I'm going to be talking about on my the next Maps of Meaning podcast because I asked the same question. Oh yeah. Because Jordan, because Jordan says, look, if you study um, like simple, more simple mammals, and you compare them to like chimpanzees or humans, you can see that the that the the consciousness that they can that they can demonstrate is way more complex than the simpler animals, and it seems to be that their biology limits how how conscious they can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's taught, he gives the reasons for it. It's like, hey, human beings have this you know, fully developed prefrontal cortex, this, these, you know, all this like um, infrastructure in our brains that allow us to do more complicated things. So our consciousness can be more complicated. Mm-hmm. And the question I asked, or I'm going to ask when I get there, you son of a bitch, you you robbed me of this. Sussing it out of you. Well, well you know, I I'm, I'm I've said this before. I'm like a it's my one of my guilty pleasures is watching ancient aliens. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like it. I, I as ridiculous as as their claims are, it's interesting. So I, I like it. And so that was the thing that popped in my head. It's like, what happens when this super advanced um, space alien lands on Earth? We don't know anything about what its biology is like. What it what it's infrastructure, how comp- complex that is, and how complex it would allow its consciousness to be. And then I just, I said what many people have said, probably Joe, Joe Rogan even, that when you're standing in front of that alien race, you have to, you have to wonder if their, if their biology is way more sophisticated than ours, so that we are to them like an ant is to us, <laughs> that their consciousness could be so different from ours that they don't even, that they don't even like um, except they don't even look at us like on par with like we we like we would squash an ant. Mm-hmm. They look at us like you know our our consciousness is so minor that we're insignificant. Our sure. existence is insignificant. Sure. Like you know, and we have no way uh, of knowing you know what their consciousness might be like if they're that much more sophisticated than us. Yeah, um, I I think one way that I try to because I've thought about that before. And one way that I try to, like, make myself feel better about it is that there are humans at our level of consciousness who, like, refuse to kill ants and shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, but then I also think that that's me using my, like, my human logic and reason, and maybe they just wouldn't reason that way, you yeah. know? So, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, like, there's definitely a gap between, because I, I know what you mean, and they're, like, uh, Buddhists, you know, that mm-hmm. believe life is sacred, and I sure. I believe that's true. Yeah, I try not, I, honestly, it, it annoys the shit out of Chelsea. I try not to kill bugs. I mean, if it's a spider, if it's, I, it's fine, but she makes me kill them, or at least <laughs> get rid of them, so. I, I, I kill them, um, but now I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I feel guilty in a weird way. Yeah. I feel like I... I don't know how to put it, but I do feel I feel I do feel strangely guilty now if I kill a bug, and I still do from time to time. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you about this. Um, so we're talking about consciousness and how uh, how it might be for an ant or a slug or a rock if a rock is conscious, which I think is, is true. I believe it is. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that before. It's like, uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, I guess I, I don't want to bounce around too much. So let me finish my thought. That that a rock is made up of these a- of these atoms. Mm-hmm. And you might think that a rock is this dead piece of mineral that doesn't have it doesn't have life, but if you were it doesn't have any animation. But if you were to get a microscope out and you look and you were able to see all the way down to yeah. the to the atoms, they're zipping all, around. Yeah, exactly. they're, zip, they're alive, dude. Yep. They're zipping around, doing their thing, moving around, interacting with with things. Um, so the point is, I believe that the that the um, Proton, whatever, or the what, what the fuck is it? The proton in the middle, that the proton neutron. 
I think the neutron is in the middle. Pro- right? Proton and neutron, I believe. Yeah. Aren't they together? The electron's zipping around the yeah, out, the, in the cloud. Right. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, I believe that the that the proton can feel the the um, electrical field of the electron. I feel like the electron feels the pull of the proton. Mm-hmm. That there is consciousness there, even at that level. That there is a, that there is a self experience. That there is something there even at that level. I don't have any evidence of that. I just it's my my intuition. I believe that I believe that's the case. Yeah. Uh, where was I going with this? I don't know. Um, uh, so, so basically, I was just saying something that was inanimate might, might also still have awareness of some kind. Yeah. But I was going somewhere with this. Oh, levels of consciousness. Oh. So Jordan talks about um, looking at things from different levels of analysis. This is a word he uses. Uh, and he's basically just saying, like, you can look at um, a human being and you can see them at, at the level of the human being. And that's like the natural way for other human beings to see other human beings at that level. But you could also look at them at, like, a cellular level or you can look at them at a societal level like you're just a person that's part of that's part of a, a machine of, of a society you know you that, that the larger animal is society and you're just one little cog in it mm-hmm. so there's different levels that you can look at you can examine or understand a person from and the question is if I have like cells in my body that are alive and they have consciousness and I have atoms that make up those cells and like I just talked about the rock they have consciousness and then you put them all together into me, and I have consciousness. Mm-hmm. And you might even look at the whole society that I'm a part of. And you ever see those time-lapse videos of, like, people moving through the train station or moving through the mall, and we look like ants, go, you know, yeah. marching along? It's like even even the society is, like, operating as this one big animal, you mm-hmm. know, this conglomerate animal. Um, that that th- It begs the question, why is it that the society isn't the conscious level? Why is it not the cell that is the conscious level? Why is it that it's me that seems to be the conscious part of it? Why? Why not all, any of those other levels? And it's a really good question, man. Yeah. Uh, what, why? That um, is, yeah, do you have anything on that? Not really. I mean, I, basically, I was... When you were making the point before that, kind of leading up to that, I was just thinking the exact same thing. I was, I was like, wondering... So if that electron has consciousness and this, then this conglomerate, this, this single electron has consciousness, all these millions of electrons have their own individual consciousness, but then this conglomeration of electrons and protons and neutrons becomes a rock and that rock has consciousness. Right. Um, like, I just think of it as like, um, like, like building uh, something that like puts off a signal. Like you, you get more of it together or even like lights. If you put, you got one little... Um, LED light emitting diode it's not that bright but you get 5,000 of them and you got this light that will blind you you know yeah Yeah, a lot of of people um, talk about consciousness as a as a field Mm -hmm. a field of experience something like that so I wonder if there's something to that um See, this is the thing about talking about these things. Is like I have no the no idea where the fuck to go now. Like we, I mean, we've explored, you know. <laughs> well, no, no, I've got I've got some I got some thoughts on this. So there's this idea um, from alchemy and from like uh, the occult, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that Jordan talks about when he talks about Carl Jung's interest in the occult and some of the like ancient mythology that he talks about as well. Um, and it's something about the world tree. Okay. The world tree. So the world tree is something that in mythology it's called the axis mundi. It's the it's the center of the universe or the center of the earth. And in mythology it's considered to be 
the thing that holds up the canopy of heaven. So it's okay. the thing that separates heaven from earth. So it's Mount Olympus or it's whatever. But it, it, in mythology, it's called uh, a pillar or a, a world tree. In the Norse religion, it was called Yggdrasil. It was the world tree. Yep. And uh, in Native American, um, some Native American mythology, they actually talk about um, they actually talk about uh, climbing down the roots of the world tree and then breaking open into a new world and basically falling from the roots, holding on to the roots of this tree, falling off of it, you know, falling, you know, from the roots through the sky to the earth. Like they, like they climbed down through yeah. the earth and landed in a new world. So there's this idea of this, of this world tree. And uh, this goes back to like a psychedelic experience, especially like a, like a DMT style experience where one explanation for what you're experiencing when you have these crazy, you know, like DMT is a good example, crazy visuals and emotions and things that are completely otherworldly. They're nothing like what you're, what you're accustomed to. That maybe what you're experiencing is your consciousness shifting up and down levels of this tree. Okay. And the tree is a symbol for everything like I just talked about. Okay. That when that somehow maybe you can get yourself into a state with drugs or, or, or you know, some other manner where your consciousness can now float up and down that tree, that axis mundi. And maybe the crazy geometric uh, stuff that we're seeing in DMT, maybe what we're experiencing is the experience of consciousness, the experience of raw energy, the experience yeah. of, 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 you know, electrons. I have no idea, yeah. but it might be a different level of analysis somewhere up and down this tree. That's crazy. And yeah, it is crazy. But, but Jordan and some of these other guys talk about like alchemy and uh, some of these occult like Kabbalah and some of this stuff that that's what it's trying to get at. It's trying to, it's trying to form images that explain this experience where your consciousness can somehow break free of w the state that it's locked in. And, and and go up and, and go up and down. Yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. thought I just thought I'd bring it up. What do you think of that? Shit? That is very interesting. And I don't. I mean, this is gonna sound stupid on some level, but having the DMT trips that I've had, the like one or two good ones that I've had, I, I could see maybe that's what it's like to be an electron. I have no idea. <laughs> well, that, you know? That's the th exactly yeah. exactly. Because when you have one of those experiences, you don't have any idea what's just happened. It's like more foreign than. I could ever possibly explain to anybody. I don't, I don't even know how to explain to you how foreign it is. Could that be what an electron experience is? Very well could be. Could be, man. Absolutely. It's fucking crazy. Can you imagine, I'm just, guys, the audience, just, just close your eyes for a second. Imagine that, imagine that you're aware, just like you are ordinarily. The moment you wake up in the morning, you're bam, right back into your body, just like you were the day before. And the world is just like it was the day before. Imagine you close your eyes and that consciousness is no longer of your body in the world, but of, of an electron zipping around some random part of your body. You know? For a second, you're, you're the electron, and then boom, you're yourself again. Mm -hmm. You moved down, and then right back up to, to the level of, of, of a human consciousness. So something that's interesting about that to me, and it kind of relates back to the fractal thing within um, you know, the mystic experience, is that... You're saying, imagine if you wake up and bam, you're this tiny thing inside of a part of you revolving around these other like huge structures that, mm -hmm. I mean, you just used to be like a cell in your body or yep. something, you know? And then I think about what it would be like if somebody dropped me off in space outside by the sun and I'm this tiny fucking thing, mm. you know, like it just seems <sighs> similar. It does seem similar. 
I, I'm telling you, man, I said before that the mystic experience, the most important part of it is the oneness. Mm -hmm. But if there's another, if there's a number two, it's the fractal. The, fra the image of the fractal is, there's so, something in there. There's some truth in there. That if, for me anyway, that experience keeps bringing it back to my attention. Like, hey, pay attention. There's this fractal thing. It's important. What is important about it? And so when people say that they have psychedelic experiences and they get messages or they learn something about it, that's the kind of thing I'm trying to describe. Like my mind keeps going back to the fractals as though my, my subconscious, my unconscious, like my brain is tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, this thing is important. Yeah. You know, pay attention to it. Not that it's telling me why it's important. It's just saying, figure it out. This is important. Figure it out. Yeah. And it feels like a message. It feels like you're being like you're like it doesn't seem to be coming from me. I don't know what the hell I'm looking at, Yeah. but there's some part of me that says, pay attention, this is important. I completely agree with that. I, I, that is exactly how it feels. It feels like, I don't know. I don't know if saying you're being shown this for a reason is correct, because actually, as I say it, it doesn't really sound correct, but it does seem like it's important. Even if you're not being shown it for a reason, it seems like something that you should be taking note of. Absolutely. Um, and I think that you said that there, if there's, like the most important thing about that experience is the oneness and if there's a second it's the fractal but i i mean i think that the oneness and the fractal are highly correlated oh with absolutely one i mean because like you've got this fractal thing but i mean it's all kind of still one thing exactly you know? so dude okay so that visual mm -hmm. i'm gonna paint this picture for the audience and it's i don't know if i can do it but i'm gonna try to do it so you have to imagine um boy how do i put this uh hmm I, the closest I can come up with is, do you remember like from like middle school, like science, where you saw a diagram of what, what, what a cell looks like? Mm -hmm. And they'll show you like a, it looks like a, a, like a you know, a ball, a 3D ball that's been cut in, into, uh, you know, a, a layers or something. And you can see everything inside, but it's all stylized. It's like, here's the mitochondria, here's the, here's the fucking nucleus, here's whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, so I imagine something like that. So you can imagine a shape. It's all contained, like, within a circle. And you can see other little shapes inside of it. And that's the best I can do to describe this. So imagine that, and it's kind of moving. All the little things inside are moving. Maybe the it's it's contained in the circle, but the circle's kind of moving. The it, the borders are kind of moving. So imagine this is what you're seeing. And then, and then, when you look into the little details inside of the circle, what you find there are other little circles with the same little details inside of them. And if you look at those even smaller details, what you find is that they're made up of the same circles with little moving, little moving details inside of them. And they just morph into and out of each other. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it could be as large as you, can, as you can observe and as small as you can observe. And you know what I mean? It's almost like you can move in and out of it, just like we were describing yep. up and down layers of consciousness. That this is the fractal image that I'm talking about. And to Kyle's point, it doesn't matter how big or small you focus your attention, you're seeing the same thing. The point is, it is one thing. Yep. It is one thing made up of a bunch of smaller versions of itself, and there's no end. It goes yep. up and down infinitely. Turtles all the way down. Turtles all the way down. And Gives me goosebumps, man. Oh, God. Now, this goes, the, the, the reason that we're talking about, I want to keep talking about this is because the image it's painting in my head, and I'm hoping it is for you in the audience right now. It's the image that I picture when I think about creation. So you can imagine when, what I said before, that if consciousness projects 
uh, oh, I, I, this is going to be convoluted. I'll do my best. If, if consciousness is all there is, consciousness is the oneness, and it, what consciousness does is experience. Um, I don't know much about consciousness. I don't know if we can know much, but what we do know is it experiences mm-hmm. because that's what the fuck I, I am, yep. right? So consciousness is all there is. Consciousness experiences. So what the fuck is consciousness experiencing exactly? If, if consciousness is all there is, then what it's experiencing is itself. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's something we call self-consciousness. That's what I believe I am and what, you, and what I believe you are, self-conscious. So what the fuck does that mean? I just keep this visual, keep this fractal visual in your head while I, while I do this. Okay, so I, I'm, so consciousness is all there is. What it's experiencing is itself. How is it doing that? So this is what I am visualizing. Just like when I said earlier that you close your eyes and you picture a cat, and bam, you have a cat in your psyche somewhere. Whatever a psyche is, whatever that fucking means, I have no idea. Nobody does. But imagine, imagine your consciousness with a capital G, God, your consciousness. You want to experience yourself because that's what you do. That's what consciousness does. So how do you do that? You project yourself within yourself so that you can experience yourself. Does that make sense? You you can imagine God is the thing Mm -hmm. that's projecting like you did when you closed your eyes and imagined a cat. It's projecting itself into itself so that it can experience itself. It's very convoluted, but you get this fractal image yeah. of God looking at God, looking at God, looking at God, and, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. Yeah. So what you have is a projection of God within a projection of God, within a projection of God, within a projection of God, and it just continues and continues, turtles all the way down. Just like those little balls. That's what I, that's what I picture, and it's this, weird, it's, it's this weird image in my head that I, I'm trying to understand, and I, I'm not doing a great job of it, but talking about it right now is part of the process. Yeah. What do you think of that? Um, I like it. I mean, you know, I don't know. I wish that I could do some kind of, like, scientific experiment and, you know, uh, know more and not have it just be speculation. Um, but I definitely like it. I mean, I don't know. Let me ask you this question. Instead of picturing a cat... Close your eyes and picture yourself. That's funny. I was just going to talk about something in this lane, but go ahead. Just picture yourself. You're standing there against a blackness. There's just you sitting in there. Mm-hmm. So right now, Kyle, you have a f- representation of yourself existing in your psyche. And I want to ask you a question. Can that representation that's in your psyche right now, can it represent itself in its mind like, like you're doing right now? Can it do that? Do you think it can do that? That's a good question, Is it man. doing it right now? He looks like he is. How would you know? How would you know? That's fucking, that's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. There's like this disconnection that happens when you represent, when you represent yourself, where you believe in your heart of hearts, the thing you're representing is you. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's your best, you know, ability to recreate yourself. And you would imagine that that recreation has all the characteristics you have, including consciousness, but you had, but you have no control over that, over that. You don't have a window into the consciousness even of your own self-projection. There's this mystery that separates you from your projection the same way that separates man from God. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know, man. It's just it's baffling. We're getting really hippie, and I love it. I'm hoping the audience, uh, the audience is, is going with us on this. But we'll, we'll get a little bit more into the real world a little bit, but I'm enjoying it too. Um, I, I was wondering, like when I close my eyes and I think about even 
I would say it's easier for me to imagine a cat walking on a fence and getting scared and jumping off than it is for me to imagine myself for some reason. I agree. Isn't that I, weird? What I just that? think maybe it's like because I'm more complicated. I don't know. Well, how about this? Close your eyes and represent me in your brain. Is that? It's it's just as difficult just as representing di- okay. myself. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so. Is that because I, you and me are much more complex than a cat? That's what I think. I don't know. So um, it's easier to represent a cat? Maybe, it's easier to, it's easier to contain the idea of a cat in your brain. Yeah. Ooh, I like that idea. But my point, where I was going with that is, even when I'm imagining a cat, like, I don't have a particularly, I don't know, visual um, imagination. Like, yeah. I can't close my eyes and like really have vivid visual images of things. You me know, either, me either. So. When I'm imagining a cat walking on a fence, like, I get, like, kind of these, like, subtle images, but a lot of the time, I'm just seeing blackness, and I'm just kind of, like, thinking of the concept of a cat walking on a fence. It's kind of like, it's kind of like meaning. Mm-hmm. You know the meaning, but it doesn't have form. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so weird, man. It's like you... It's very weird. Yeah, it's like you have this invisible thing playing out in your head that you understand as a cat walking on a fence and getting scared. And I bet you if you mapped like your brain activity mm-hmm. while you're imagining it versus actually seeing it, that they would be similar, yeah. you know? And I don't know what that means, but it's fascinating. That is fascinating. That's like the kind of science experiment that I want to do, you know? Dude, I could get excited about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear scientists, like especially listening to Joe, where he'll get scientists on there that are passionate about what they're talking about. And... You know, you we, we all went to science class. We all we all had chemistry. We all had biology. We all did experiments. You know, mm-hmm. but I cannot remember being as excited about any of that s- experimentation as some of these scientists are going on Joe. You know, talking about whatever it is, like the guy he he had on most recently with Brett Weinstein talking about uh, COVID, talking about some drug called. Uh, damn, can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Ivermectin. 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 Right. Yeah, yeah, talking about talking about that as a as a very inexpensive and highly, highly effective treatment for COVID, as well as almost all other viral infections. And yeah. it, it's super cheap and no one will talk about it. Yep. <laughs> but you get someone like that excited about the experiments. Like, uh, you know, the point is that ca- pursuing something that's actually interesting to you makes all the difference in the world. Hell yeah. I want to feel that passion and interest, you know? Hell yeah. Otherwise, what the fuck are we doing, man? That, I mean, that this leads me into like my more political type shit because you know you think of um you think of like china and you hear stories about like you know there's you know a freak tall chinese kid born and the the ccp's like that kid's playing basketball you don't have a fucking choice he's playing basketball yeah um but what if that dude doesn't want to play basketball you know and here in america we have you know some degree of freedom that we can kind of choose the things that we want to do but i just feel like if we could create a world where people are it's easier for them to do that i feel like we could have like future world you know like crazy (laughs) fucking you know yeah future world i don't know yeah it's interesting Um, and now i I mean i think that a lot of people are like well then in state ubi like let people i just don't think that's the answer i think there's a better way Mm. to do it but so i was i was thinking about something like this um the other day where i was thinking about um people who are 
born genetically gifted in one form or another. Mm -hmm. Just like you were talking about if you're born in China and you're... Sorry. sorry. (laughs) If you're born in China and you're nine feet tall, you're playing basketball. Um, But I was thinking about this. Like, I got two young girls. And I was thinking about... um, They're both, you know, they're both beautiful girls. And I don't don't know what they're going to look like when they're grown up, but my wife's a beautiful lady, and I assume they're going to be beautiful girls. And there's part of me... And thinking about this, just like you said with the tall guy, there's part of me that thinks they're going to have a huge advantage in their life because they have this gift and they'll probably have other gifts and you know that's fine let's just talk about the one where things will be easier for them because they're beautiful mm-hmm. um and whatever you know whatever that might mean um you know maybe it means they get served first at the bar you know with all their friends there because they're the pretty girl they're going to get served first and it's easy whatever sure. maybe it's that maybe it's that they get a, a t- whatever i don't want to i don't want to piss off any feminists with any more examples i do <laughs> but we won't we'll but go, you, you, go you under, even if you're a handsome uh sure. you know man you're going to have yeah, this exactly. similar similar privileges 100% that there's part of that that says look if you don't want to be a model, a fashion model. If you don't want to be an athlete, but you're, but you're physically gifted, or you're, or you're beautiful and perfectly symmetrical, or whatever it is, that you're going to have, in some ways, a huge disadvantage because, because the world, like, you're, the product of your, of your evolution is is for is pushing you in the direction of being an athlete. You were yeah. built to be an athlete. And everyone who sees you, the whole culture is saying, this dude looks like he plays basketball. And if you were the guy that didn't want to play basketball and you have all these gifts pushing you in that direction, that, I mean, how how, how must that feel? And it's the same thing with with a pretty girl. Like you want to be taken seriously as a, academic or scientist or something but you're you're a beautiful girl and nobody will take you seriously that's mm-hmm. that so it's like sometimes gifts genetic gifts you know they're double-edged they, swords they could be they could be a, they could be a curse yeah you know absolutely i mean i i think that somebody who is beautiful and like relies on that and that alone those people are boring yeah so yeah, I don't know. That's that's funny too, man. And I feel, I feel bad for people like that, and uh, and the and the reason is, I'm losing my train of thought. What, what did you just say, Kyle? That people who are beauty beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, and just rely on that alone are boring. Like oh, they're oh, like oh. shells of I was, people. I was thinking about it in terms of like, like adaptation so it's like if you're a kid and you're learning how to get along in the world and you're trying you're experimenting you see what you can get away with what works what doesn't work if you're beautiful as a girl and you, and you can manipulate people with that and get what you want and you learn that early and you know um, you know that, that that's an, not an uncommon thing you learn that early that you have a tool in your toolkit that that you can use to get things you want so you have less incentive to find other tools because you've got one that works already. Why would I? Why would I waste time and effort trying to come up with something else when I can just, you know, I can just manipulate people with my looks? That uh, that that's a huge disadvantage, you know, it, it's just in terms of your development, or or people. I'm thinking of one in particular, um, you know, people who like learn to lie to manipulate to manipulate people, or people who uh, have to fight, people who have to get aggressive and fight. Um, you, you, you know, like, um, well, like my, my brother, for instance, grew up in a rough neighborhood or, or even like, you, I'm sure Sam would probably have similar things to say if we asked him, grew up in a rough neighborhood, um, you know, had to, had to basically learn to control your, 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 
you know, physical violence. You had to learn to use that as a tool. Yeah. And that's what was getting you by. That was what was, um, you know, that, that's what was getting you by, you know, that you learn to rely on that. And then if, if I can just get physical and aggressive and get my way, because I had to learn to do that just to get by in this, in this rough neighborhood, why do I need to learn, uh, uh, you know, politics? Why do I need to learn how to, how to use my words and ideas? I could just punch you in the face. Now, that works only for so long, you know? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with a beautiful girl, because the looks generally don't last forever. Sure. What a desperate fucking situation to be in. If you find yourself 45 years old, 50 years old, your looks are gone, and you have no fucking tools to use. Yeah. Or, you know, you've lied yourself into the position you're in, and now you're so in so deep, you, you know, you can't lie yourself out. What a fucking nightmare, Kyle. Hell yeah. Um... I mean, I think that that happens to a lot of people, you know? It does. Um, and I, I really don't know. I don't know what else I was going to say. I had something, but it slipped my mind. So. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. Well, that'll happen. Yep. Um, I think when I was talking about what a nightmare, like, you can imagine people finding themselves in that position at that, at that at like an advanced age, let's say, where you're less willing to go back to square one. Sure. Um, that I can just imagine like all of these medieval paintings of hell and all and all the the demons eating eating you know eating people and like the half skeleton skin hanging off the skeletons and all the terrible images that people tried to paint of what hell must be like mm-hmm. that is what I think those people are living in okay you know some metaphorical hell like yeah. that's that's hell man I, I also uh, what I kind of popped back to me what I was going to say is that it's not even that, uh, like, if you're beautiful, eventually your looks gonna are going to fade. It's like, you could be beautiful, and you could be, you know, have all these things handed to you, and eventually you come up into, like, some kind of competition with a person who is also very attractive and also, like, has developed being charismatic. Oh. Or Like, I think of, like, a politician. Like, a lot of these, like, it's funny, we were just talking, I was just talking with Chelsea about this. Someone like AOC, I don't think that she's particularly... Well, actually, I do think that she's smart, but I don't think she's, like, a genius or anything. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. And I think that she's she's pretty, you know? She's a pretty lady, and I think that, you know, she was a bartender. I think that she's probably just, like, a a charismatic person, a person that people like to talk to for some reason. And uh, it just, like, captivates Mm. people with telling stories. Um, She she reminds me of, like, a a less attractive Rosario Dawson. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And, uh, And I think that... If you're if you're a good looking person, eventually you're going to come up against someone like that, and then I mean you lose, you know. So yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's funny, man. Like, because you've all kind of seen that. Like, I don't know. I can't think of a particular example before, but you've all seen like the, like the. Oh, I have a good example. I have a good example. When I was a kid, um, the place where I went to school had two middle schools. Because it was, you know, big old suburb. Yeah, it's just like a different, different, like eastern and western sides or different middle schools, and they fed into um, what used to be the high school, but uh, the high school ended up splitting. Splitting. Well, it didn't split. They built a new (coughs) building, and they had the old high school just for the freshmen. So it was like the freshman building. Gotcha. So imagine this: we had so on one of the middle schools, the one I went to, is on. It was in the neighborhood that was poorer. It was a larger neighborhood, but it was poorer. It was a little bit rougher. And the culture there was a little bit more, well, you remember, uh, you know, it was a little bit more um, urban, you might say. Yeah. It was a little bit more hip-hop centered, uh, that kind of thing. The the other middle school could not be any more different. Any more different. It was in this, like, sort of um, cute little 
uh, part of town, the historical part of town <laughs> that had been protected from the the expansion of the city. It was this nook, this little nook of brick brick sidewalks and like nice businesses, and you know that that middle school, uh, that middle school was uh, a bunch of you know I, I don't want to say rich kids, but a whole different culture. Yeah. So wh- when they came together in the freshman building, we had the one middle school kids and the other middle middle school kids having to kind of figure out what the pecking order is mm-hmm. like the cool kids from the one school the cool kids the pretty girls from the one school or the pretty girls from the other school and it was a it was an inter, you know I think about that in retrospect like I should have paid more attention that's an interesting experiment man sure because not only did you have uh, the hierarchy of, of cool kids but you had a, a different reason in, in each school as to why they had that status. So in my middle school, um, it was uh, the kids that were, uh, well, the kids, the, the, the boys anyway, that were fighters, you know, the ones that would punch you in the face if you talk shit. That was the cool kid. Yeah. At the other school, it was the Abercrombie kid. Oh. I didn't even know what Abercrombie was until until I, I, I had this like War of the Gods where the Asir and the Veneer were fucking coming together in, in the, the freshman building yeah. and I had all these fucking like uh, American Eagle and Abercrombie kids coming in all white mm-hmm. mixing mixing with my, uh, my middle school which was much more diverse and much more urban and uh, it was just fu- interesting to see <coughs> how it all worked but the point, the reason I bring this up is that you have for the first time the top dog dude and the top dog girl coming into connection with another top dog dude and top dog girl so like the 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 fucking quarterback guy and the cheerleader on from one middle school uh you know the prom king and queen of one middle school coming into contact with the other and having to having to figure out which one is which one is going to be on top yeah duke it out duke it out and then maybe literally (laughs) and for the first time you have a girl who looks at another girl and says uh you know and sees competition because sure. she had defeated all the other ones and now she gets to the championship bout you know mm-hmm. you know it was interesting man that is interesting and you know what i did notice happened though is you didn't have like this grand battle where you wear the the top jock you know in in from the one school and the other school had it out and one yeah. and one was victorious like broly versus goku or something <laughs> yeah, no no <laughs> There was some of that where they where they would just you know come together and form a hierarchy, but there was another thing that happened where more groups developed. Okay. It's more cliques. Yeah. So it's like rather than competing in one hierarchy, they're just like, well, we're going to start our own hierarchy, and I'll I'll just be I'll just keep my position over in this new this yeah, new clique. For sure, it's interesting that you bring this up because I wanted to talk about that uh, dining cruise that I went on last night. Oh yeah. Um, and so we went on this cruise. And I actually, I didn't think I was going to be able to go because I have, the last three days, man, I've had the worst case of food poisoning that I've ever had in my life, dude. Oh, no. It was brutal. Do you know what it's from, do you think? Chipotle. Oh, 100% no. 100% from the, Chipotle. From the chicken? Yep. Or no? Oh, no, I don't know what specifically from Chipotle, but that's the only, I mean, I had one meal that day mm. and it, it was Chipotle. So. It's probably the cilantro, I bet. Maybe. Some salmonella? I heard that the reason that stuff, a lot of that stuff gets in toxic, or contaminated <laughs> is, that, is that people who like pick the stuff pee in the fields it's like they're, they're just working and they'll like whip it out and piss right there oh boy yeah that makes sense yeah. I, I probably would too yeah absolutely I mean 
but it's disgusting. It too. is disgusting. So, yeah. I don't... So, anyways, I had this awful case of food poisoning, and I didn't think I was going to be able to go on this cruise, but I did, and it was interesting because. It was in downtown, you know, we had to go to downtown Cleveland for it, and we got on the boat, and it was much more white people than black people, okay? Okay. There were three levels of the boat. Um, We were on the bottom level, there was a second level and a third level, and people, so you got on and you ate dinner, and everyone, there was like, the good time set up the seating. You don't have it, it's not like you go sit with your people. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if you buy a table with people, then you do, but otherwise, it's like, it, there are si- at, at our table, there were six chairs, and if you only had two people, you're gonna get set with yeah, four okay. random people. Just like you go to Hibachi, you sit with strangers. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, you know, at first, that's how it was. Everyone was kind of like sat with people, and people they didn't know. We had a whole table to ourselves, but, um, and then, we ate and then we dropped, you know, like sailed around Lake Erie a little bit. Then we went back to the dock, dropped some people off. Other people got back on mm. or other people got on the ship for like a party part of it. It's mm. like, you know, they had a band. There was, you know, a, a, a bunch of bars. Nice. Um, and it was interesting that the bottom floor, they had this band. It was like a cover, a cover band. They were a cover band. They were pretty good, too. Good. And it was all these goofy white boomers on the the bottom floor dancing being super goofy and i mean honestly kind of cute to to be honest it's like something about them cutting loose and having a good time reminded me of like small children like i don't it's hard to explain but um sounds beautiful though on the second floor they had a dj Mm -hmm. who was playing like cha-cha slide and all that kind of stuff and that's where all the black people were Mm. and it's weird you know we talk about segregation and like the melting pot that we're supposed to be but then you look at something like that and it's like a voluntary segregation you know it's like I mean there were white people up there and there were black people down there don't get me wrong I will tell you this there were much more white people up top than there were black people down below Mm. Um, so that's I don't know something to consider but I just think that's interesting that like voluntary segregation you know yeah, I mean, so uh, when I was just telling you about the school district I went to, the suburban school district I, w- I went to, when I, by the time I graduated from high school, the population there was uh, maybe it was like uh, maybe around 60% white and 40%, um, uh, I, I mean, maybe not all black, but mostly. So it was, it was pretty close to half and half, but still more white people at the school. And uh, what I remember, especially young, when I was younger, and there was fewer, fewer black kids there, like in elementary school, for some reason, there was much fewer black kids there. That when um, when I came from the city schools, we, we had assigned seating at lunch, so you couldn't pick your seats. But when I went to the suburbs, you could sit wherever you wanted. Mm. That was the first time I ever saw. And now remember, I came from the city schools where it was it was the majority was was I, I was uh, a, 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 as a white kid, I was the, the minority for sure. Yeah. Um, when I would walk into the cafeteria in the suburb schools, and all of the black kids are sitting together. Now. I don't think that those, you know, 10-year-old black kids were racist. Yeah. I don't think that the white kids around them were racist, but I think something probably like this. They saw people, something 
more like themselves. They naturally gravitated towards each other um, for, you know, strength in numbers and all that stuff. All those natural impulses that people have that are built in from evolution that say, you know, the, the things that are different from you are dangerous. Yeah. That those people naturally just felt more comfortable sitting together. And um, But the point is, they voluntarily segregated themselves yeah. and were sitting together. And it was unusual to see them sitting at a table with white kids or for white kids to be sitting with them. Yeah. I think... You say that you see people who are like you and you feel more comfortable with them and you see people who are not and you feel some level of discomfort, even if it's not like, fuck these people, you know, that's not necessarily what you're feeling, but it's just like, I fit with them, so I'm going to go with them. I think that on some level that doesn't even necessarily have to do with color because I bet you if there was a kid who was like in, you know, like, uh, you know, okay at the other school a white kid going to the the more majority i bet you he hung out with his his you know black friends or like other white friends from that area you know so well you can look at my my brother's a prime example of that yeah so my my brother uh went like i said we, we were in the city so he and he's older than me so he was in the city schools for a lot longer so when we moved to the suburbs he was already deep into middle school and um, you know, his entire culture at that time was inner city culture. He, that, that's what he learned at school. Yeah. So he was into rap music. You know, all of his friends were black. That was the that was the culture that he was most familiar with. He goes to the suburbs, and it, there was almost nobody like that. So my brother was, to your point, my brother made friends with all the black kids. Yep. That was he felt more comfortable there, and that's a great fucking point to bring up. Yeah, that's a, a great point because to it up. doesn't have to do with skin color I mean it's so obvious in that scenario but it, it's a culture thing you know what comes to my mind when I say that like you know I'm just trying to imagine I'm a black kid walking down the hallway into the cafeteria I'm looking around I'm scanning on the tables I'm looking around at my options and I see a, a table mostly empty with three other black kids I'm going right to I'm beelining to that table that uh, that the way I would feel if there weren't if that table wasn't there, if I'm looking around, it's all white kids. It's like nobody that I, that I, I mean, if that were the case, I'm probably going to sit with boys because I'm a boy, you know, I'm going to look, feel more comfortable with that. I'm not going to go sit at the girl table maybe, but what the feeling that comes to my mind is like my youngest daughter, when she gets around somebody that she doesn't know anybody, you know, um, she, she gets a little, sometimes a little shy, a little sheepish. She tucks, she tucks her chin down. She won't look at them. She, and, I, and I'm, and obviously that's an exaggerated version of the emotion, but, but, but level that baby up to a middle school kid, put them in the cafeteria. That, that's the feeling I think that, that they're, that they're feeling when they look and they can't find, uh, they can't find any comfort, any, any, any place for them. That's, yeah. that screams at, that's obvious to them. Um, and they're searching, you know, at that age anyway, you're searching for an identity and you're, you're, you know, whatever. Yeah. It just seems to me like that's the same emotion, that, that sheepish, shy, you know, sure. feeling. Uh, yep, yeah, I agree. And I think that just talking about this makes me think, I mean, I, I, I've been of this opinion before, but this is just like, I don't know, highlighting into my brain right now that the racial problems in this country are like so fucking exaggerated. You know what I mean? I, I like, agree. I guess I can understand thinking with a very simplistic mindset why a person who is like all wrapped up in the race shit like might look at the boat I was on last night and be like, this is this is bad. Why aren't you guys mingling more? You know, I could yeah. I could kind of understand that. But at the same time, it's like they were mingling. I mean, like we were there was mingling going on. You know what I mean? And sure. it, I just don't. Um, it just seems like it's so fuck. It's so fucking arbitrary. Yeah. Like like you watch a commercial and they go. 
one one white person, one black person, one Asian person. Got to make sure at least a couple of them are women. Represented, yeah. And like that's how they want the the fucking every restaurant and nightclub and fucking you know public place to be. Just mm. a even exactly evenly distributed colors and sexes. Come get the fuck out of here, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just been on my mind since last night. Like. Yeah, it's a, it's a culture difference, and there are huge differences between white and black culture. That is not to say that one is better than the other. I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and, and say that I think that some aspects of white culture are, are better than black culture, and I think that some ba- aspects of black culture are better than white culture. Um, it's also important to point out that whether we're talking about white culture or black culture or culture in general of any kind, it's always changing. Sure. Culture is always changing. Yep. So we're talking about a point in time, and we're in, when you say there's things that you think are better or worse, I suppose you have specific examples. But um, When I, I mean, I do have specific examples, but I feel like we might get canceled if I go <laughs> into them. Um, I, I'll say this. I feel like because of the climate, uh, the, the racial climate that we exist in here in America – White people are more willing to be accommodating to make black people feel like comfortable. Like I, I you're not going to see too many white people like starting shit, being impolite. Um, and this might come off as racist, but I feel like black people do not care as much a lot of the time. It's like uh, it, it, it's what happens when a the the corporate media has been telling, and not just the corporate media, but the government, the state has been telling you for. Uh, over a century that you're owed something you know what i mean um so i think that that's that is a cultural difference that i appreciate you know what that's 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 an important point that you bring up and it's something that people don't take seriously enough and it's that it's that the policies the government policies that that are violence that are that are it that are interfering with our free choices things like you know um Whatever affirmative action is a good example, um, but all but all of these PC uh, things that that we're dealing with that we have been dealing with for the last you know 30 years, let's say, um, that they create that they create an important difference in the lives of black people and white people, meaning that they that they that they that they create unnecessary differences between us, and what I mean is. Again, this is there's arguments on both sides of this, but this you'll see where I come down on this argument that if in the black community, if um, the the government assistance, let's say that a single mother is receiving um, would be lowered or canceled if they were married, that that is an incentive for them not to marry. Mm-hmm. And so what you have is a over the last fifty years, um, a huge decline in the marriage rates in the black community and a huge increase in single motherhood. Um, and we all know the challenges that come, that come with that and all of the unintended consequences that, uh, that the, the, the government's best intentions couldn't have anticipated, which is that they create this weird incentive for people not to get married. And so you have this, um, all of these unintended consequences like, uh, like kids that are growing up without um, you know, a two-parent household and all of the studies that you can look at that show when a kid has um, 
you know, when we compare a kid from a two-parent household to a kid from a one-parent household, they do way worse in schools. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they do way worse in their earning potential as adults. They're way more likely to be in jail or to, you know, to, (laughs) to, to, to be depressed. I mean, there's just all sorts of, of, of issues. And, and because the culture decided that, uh, that one group was treated unfairly historically and that we had to, we had to make up for that by making things unfair and interfering with our ordinary dealing with each other, mm-hmm. uh, that, that they created a different culture for white people in that, in that, in, in a similar situation to black people in that, in that situation. And that the government did that. The government did that in, yeah. in all of whatever, all of its best intentions, um, and so when we when we see ourselves as as different and we have conflicts, you know, that th- th- this is a big part of that. This is a big part of the disconnect between black people and white people. And it's not uh, because of us. It's because of the government interfering mm-hmm. with our fucking relationship. Yeah. We should we should just be, you know, dealing with each other um, on an on an uh, an equal basis and 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 a voluntary basis. We shouldn't be treated differently by the government. One hundred percent. Jesus. Um, that is, that's like my, that was like my main takeaway from the cruise last night. It's like, I mean, just let people do what they're going to do. I mean, it, you don't, I mean, I don't know. It just seems, it seems obvious to me, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but, uh, the, t- this talk about race stuff makes me think, have you seen the stuff with Tucker Carlson and, uh, that general, <laughs> No, they're pushing like critical race theory type stuff yeah. in the military. Oh, in the military. Yeah. Oh which, shit. Um, who, I mean, what purpose is that serving in the military? That's you a know? great question. Um, th- this like, um, wait, are, isn't the military, isn't the military erase your identity at boot camp? Exactly. He, I, I think Tucker Carlson made that point in the segment, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It, Tucker Carlson's a badass. That guy, I don't understand how he gets away with the shit that he gets away with. In this this little clip that he did, he called the the guy who was the Joint Chiefs of Staff a stupid pig. Oh so man. You should you should watch that. Oh, one. it's geez. a pretty good one. Oh boy. Yeah. Um wh- and what did the general say to defend it? What what did he say the the reason for it was? Um he, I mean basically he's just honestly his point He's saying, you know, just because I read Marx and just because I read um, whoever else he said doesn't mean that I'm a Marxist. Um, but then, which I understand. I, I, I mean, I've read Marx, too. I've read Lenin. Uh, you know, I like I, I, not only do I like to understand the thinking of a person that I consider my enemy in some way. Exactly. Yeah. But I also think that my enemy might have some good ideas that I want to crib. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. So I, I read that shit. Um but it, so I agree with that argument. But he also kind of like was, you know, white supremacy really is a problem in the United States. The Joint Chiefs of Staff. I mean, just give me a fucking break. I mean, I just don't agree. It's like an asinine notion in my mind. So, so this is one of those things where I, I like, I have to think about my experience, my life, and my experience. And I've met racist people uh, on both sides. I've met racist black people. I've met racist white people. Uh, I've met great people on both sides uh, as well. Yep. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. I, 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 keep, I wanted to ask you, and I just keeps creeping back up, is did you ever have um, a relationship with a black person that was um, cordial enough and curious enough and respectful enough where you could talk about race openly and, you know, like get real answers and, and 
Um, yes, and I mean, yeah, I have. I, I, the problem is that I, my exposure to those people hasn't been that long in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, so, and, and honestly, there are some people in my past that I feel like I maybe could have had those conversations with, but I wasn't necessarily thinking about those kind of things. Right. Um, yeah, that's, so. that, that's a good point, you know, because yeah. I, I had all sorts of uh, friends gr- growing up in school that were black, and I never thought to even ask them about racial issues because, well, that was the world we lived in. It wasn't like this. Mm-hmm. It didn't even come – it didn't even th- – come in my head that that our lives were so different that I, I should be asking him questions about how his life is different than mine like there wasn't anything there there was no substance there because he was just like me right you know it was a different world man and it wasn't that long ago yeah uh, but I didn't I did have a friend uh, a workmate actually and it, I was like 20 years old so I was still I was still a kid but and she was a little older than me and she was a former former Navy lady, shout out to Keisha, um, and she uh, she was awesome, man. She was one of these people that was a little older than me. She could see I was naive, but it was, but I was curious and and uh, good hearted, and we worked together and worked well together. And she saw the kind of character that I had from just working together, and she was very open with talking to me about this stuff. And we talked about a lot of stuff, man. Uh, we talked about church, for instance, and there was some interesting stuff there. Um, this is not wh- what I want to get to. I want to talk, talk about some more racial stuff, but I want to, just since I brought it up, she was telling me about, uh, well, you can kind of imagine like evangelical churches that like we've gone to, and then the image that you get when you think of like uh, a black version of that church. Yeah. And, the Im- and, the, and again, I don't mean to be insensitive, but the image I get is there's a lot more, there's a lot more spirit in those churches. There's a lot more clapping. There's a lot more, you know, uh, enthusiastic singing where you go to a white church and it's just hymns mm, from the 1800s yeah. and uh, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, th- I, I imagine there's big differences there. And she, and I've always been interested in religion. So we talked about this and she said something to me about how she was like rehearsing the speech that she was going to give. She had a little speaking bit that she was going to do. Um, and that's fine. You know, I understand that. But then she was talking about rehearsing her uh, antics, how she was going to behave while she was on stage. Yeah. Like being filled with the spirit and getting ramped up like Hollywood Hogan, you know. And, and the, that was expected of her, that, yeah. w- that when you get up there and you're, and you're filled with the spirit and you're talking about Jesus, that at some point you get taken over by the sure. brother. You get taken over by it, right? <laughs> and, and I... I was watching her talk about this with my eyes as big as saucers, like, what? Yeah. I had no idea that, first of all, that that was, that the theater was a part of the, uh, part of the, the, that type of a black church and the enthusiastic uh, worshiping that, that, that they're doing that, that's different from what I'm used to. I didn't realize that there was a theatrical con- component to it. And that if, and, and the thing that struck me was that she was expected to be, uh, taken over by the spirit to it to a point where that meant she had to behave strangely and that and that if she didn't feel that she had to pretend to yeah and i thought that was fucking weird man that's very weird to me too Um, i've never seen or heard anything like that in a church that i've been to yeah and the only thing i can think of that's even close to that is are are some of these like healing preachers these crazy ones that just try to get money from you Yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah um I mean, I think of, I can think of people, you think of, uh, I'm drawing a blank, like, I don't know, I think it's Pentecostal and like speaking in tongues, yeah. that's white people shit. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, this, I guess this is going to sound 
derogatory, and I don't really mean it to, but it, it's going to. And it's like with that thing with the girl putting on a performance and with the tongues, because I'm sure there's a lot of performance oh, yeah. with that too, like pre-planning and, you know, imagining. And yeah. it makes it seem disingenuine to me. It makes it seem like it's not real. 100%. And that, so, that's why my eyes were so big yeah. listening to Keisha talking. I'm like, okay, so th- there's this thing that's supposed to be this super meaningful spiritual experience and you're just going to fake it yeah. in front of an audience? Yeah, yeah. Take... T- Two big ass hits of DMT and let me know if you're faking that. Let me know if you're faking that. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I, that seems very weird to me, and I don't. Again, I don't want to seem derogatory, and I think that people are different. You know, people value different things. People gain. You know, the experience that moves people is different. So maybe that works for them. You know, good yeah. for them. Yeah. You know, well, it you doesn't work for me though. I can't imagine going to a place and pretending and having that mm. like mean something. You know what? We say that, we say that, but I'm just think I'm just thinking about any religious ritual where somebody's doing something that you're watching and then you have to pretend that it's something spiritual. Like so, it's like a reenactment. Like a ritual, in some sense, is like a reenactment of something supernatural. So when we take communion, we're reenacting supposedly the death and resurrection of sure. Jesus. Um, so, so maybe watching something, even if it's theatrical, it's just like watching a movie. You can get sucked into it and have an experience that's deep. So maybe, maybe you know, shit, man. I, I mean, that's probably there's probably something to that. I, and I agree about the disingenuous part, just because yeah. of this of the religious context. Sure. But theater's theater, and it's gripping. Sure. That being said, uh, you know that kind of like throws all of the religion under the bus not in a bad way but I say it throw it under the bus is that it's all got that on it but that's why I don't you know I don't take communion you know I mean my communion is like the mushrooms or the the and again take those and tell me if that's fake you know like you're not faking that experience hey I want to I want to I want to jump from mushrooms to the thing about your edibles because I want to talk about that yeah, yeah. but before I do there's a couple of other things Keisha said that I want to oh, sure. I want to share with you so other than this religious thing, which I, I again was enlightening to me, she told me about the about the uh, brown bag rule or paper bag rule. You know, like the type of bag you would take your lunch in—a paper bag. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this? You're nope. looking at you're looking at me like I looked at her. Brown bag rule. Brown bag rule. You know no. this? Ugly chicks. No, <laughs> no. Sorry. So she said. So this is again a part of black culture. You know, quote unquote black culture that I was completely ignorant of, and you wouldn't know unless you were an insider. And she said this. She said. Among black people, if your skin tone is lighter than a paper oh. bag, that you are considered to be more beautiful, a higher status, yeah. than if your skin is darker, which is fucking baffling to me. And I'm, and I'm looking at Keisha like, so you mean to tell me that white people are racist against black people and they point at the color of your skin as the reason? And then black people turn around and do the same thing to darker people? Mm-hmm. Like, are you serious? Yeah. So I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't. I've never heard the term paper bag rule, but I did know that general concept. And I know that that is not only true amongst black people, but amongst a lot of people. Um, I know that when Mexican workers come up to work in the United States, mm. if they're working like construction. So a lot of these people will come up. They'll get a visa to come up and do a job for like nine months, you know, mm-hmm. and then they go back. Um, and a lot of these people, it's like they're getting sent up here to like grow stuff. You know, they're working in nurseries. They're doing a lot of that kind of stuff, doing construction. So they're working outside. And a lot of these Mexican dudes 
will wear like in the dead of summer like hoodies, jeans, everything because they want to go back and not have a tan. They really? want to be light as light as possible. So so there's like this hypocritical hypocritical thing that comes to my head that says um you know, if you if you want to be proud about your racial uh ethnic origins, if you want to take pride in that, um which is you know, one school of thought when it comes to uh, dealing with race, racial differences, that you have pride in your race, that you would would want to be proud of of the, what makes you distinct. And the and again, in that case, the the darkness of your skin is the is the obvious one that you should take pride in that, and not try to hide that. And the second thing is that it it seems very obvious that that goes back to an earlier time, po- you know, just early post slavery, when when the world when the Western world was a basically white, white European world and that the slaves who now have equality and freedom, you know, that, that are no longer slaves, that those people wanted to try to fit into the European world that they were living in. And so if they could look more like, more like Europeans that it, but the, the point is that served a function back then that at this point you would think you would, you would think you would, it would be shameful because you're saying to yourself, you know, black people and white people aren't inherently better or worse than each other. Yeah. But I still want to be look more like a white person. Yeah. You know, there's a little something hypocritical about that. For sure. It's like this cultural thing that, like a lot of cultural things, that we've forgotten why, and so we don't realize how inappropriate it is. Yeah. You know, we, we've forgotten why these people wanted to have lighter skin or valued yeah. lighter skin. Yeah. Yeah. And like this thing with the Mexican people, it's not, this is not something that I read on the internet. This is something that I've seen with my eyes and had Mexican people tell me. It's like, in my line of work, I've worked with a lot of Mexican people. Yep. Um, and I see them, they're like decked out in the middle of summer and I'm like, why are you wearing all of that shit? And they, they're not like shy about it either. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you straight up. It's like here, women go to the, the tanning booth and they want to get tan and that's good. Like that's culturally... You know, you get cultural bonus points for having a good tan. Uh, down there, it's the opposite. You don't mm. want to be tan. That's that's interesting, man. And it's things you wouldn't know, you know, unless you were unless you had a window into the culture. And the best way to have a window into the culture is to be allowed to participate in that culture. It's not to say it's appropriating it. If I like, if I want to learn more about me, about Mexican culture, sure. if I want to embody it, if I want to experience it really, mm-hmm. if I want to do that with with you know African American culture, Southern African American culture, fucking all that all that great stuff that they've got. You know, I want to participate in that. We should be encouraging that. We shouldn't be calling it appropriation and putting up more and more borders be- between each other. Yeah. Well, you said Southern black culture, and that made me think of, that harkened me back to when you were talking about your school experience and the the voluntary segregation there. Yeah. People in the United, and this this actually goes back to the guy I mentioned earlier, Jim Goad. He talks a lot about this kind of stuff. In the United States, especially up in the North, we have this idea of everybody down in the South is racist. Every white person in the South is a racist asshole. Right. There's no segregate. Uh, there's no um, not segregation. The opposite of that integration. Integration. Yeah. There's no integration. Um, but if you ask a person who lives in the South, the South is way more integrated than the North because they've been living with each other for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so it's like we have these cultural ideas that are completely wrong and they're enforcing these things that are like tearing us apart Mm. and like causing us to not 
concentrate on the things that I think actually matter. Absolutely. So, I got one more Keisha. One more Keisha bit. Let's get it. She told me about her daddy, and she and she, you know, uh, respects and loves her dad, obviously, and he's a part of her life. Um, she told me that he's racist. Okay. Um, and that that's not at all uncommon in the black community. That racism against white people is very common. Keisha sounds based. Keisha sounds pretty she, cool. She was so cool, man. She was so honest, and, and and she would let me say things like, and I'm trying to dance around it and stuttering and not sure, and she's just like, you know, let's talk about it. She was awesome, man. I love that I had some interaction like that, some relationship like that in my life, even though it was short-lived. It was like four or five years yeah. that I worked with her. But anyway, she said that her dad, uh, he was like a, a union guy. He worked for one of the auto automakers you know he had like his whole life he worked there he had a career there he did really well for himself he climbed up through the ranks uh he did well you know he drove a cadillac um you know he he put he he, you know, he put his kids through college he he was a successful man by any account yeah. a, a successful man and he and she told me he believed he was held back at every point in his life by 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 whitey by by the man in his career that he was held back in his life that he was held back and uh, he um, was um, without, you know, no shame, um, you know, racist against white people. Yeah. And, and I told Keisha, I'm like, you know, my dad, and I told him, like, my dad worked in the auto, uh, auto industry his whole life. He was a hard worker. He, uh, did, he w didn't work a union job. But apart from that, my dad had a very similar situation to, to her dad. Yep. My dad never made more than $40,000 in his life. Um, you know, he, he, he didn't ever make enough money to have any money saved for retirement. He never made enough money to send any of his kids to college. You know, he just got by and, and, and you know, fed his family, uh, you know, in his life. He worked hard to do that. Yep. And this, and this situation between my dad and her dad was clearly very different, even though they were both responsible, hardworking men with a family, that, that her dad, who claims to have been held down by Whitey his, his whole life, was doing leaps and bounds better financially than my dad. Uh, and I told her that. We, we were able to have this conversation, and it was a beautiful thing. But all of that stuff I learned from her that I would never have learned or known if I didn't have somebody who was willing to talk to me without, without uh, kid gloves. Mm -hmm. And we are, we are not doing that today. We are doing the opposite of that today. We're kid gloving the shit out of it. So I want to say, I want to go back to something that I said, and... Uh, I want to, I, I don't know, the way that I want to phrase this is not necessarily the way that I feel about it. The way I want to phrase it is I'm worried about people thinking of, like what I said about the differences between black culture and white culture, about black people being less interested in being like polite and stuff, that that's going to be taken as offensively. But honestly, I'm not really worried about that um, because I don't care. I know what I meant. Um, and what I think is that you said that we're doing this kid gloves thing. The kid gloves are way, way, way thicker on the white people side. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I mean by that. Well, and that's, and that's exactly the thing that, that I was trying to bring up when, I, when she admitted to me how racist, how overtly racist her dad is. Because, because nobody ever talks about that. It was such a surprise to me to learn that 
all I ever heard was that bl- black people were obviously, uh, um, you know, enslaved and they were in this lower uh, position in society for a long stretch of time. And we did it to them and all that and all that sort of thing that that uh, that all of the racism was white people thinking they were better than them and talking down to them and putting uh, putting them in this submissive position. The idea that that was all I ever heard, that when somebody said to me, oh, you know, black people think all the same shit about white people and have all kinds of their own nasty things and, and uh, whatever. Um, that was a surprise to me that I, that, that existed because, because it was, it was never, it was never part of the public conversation. The public sure. conversation was that white people were the rate, were the racist ones against black people. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about black people being, having been racist against white people, whether it was a retaliation or not. Yeah. Two wrongs don't make a right. 100%. And nobody fucking talked about it. So yeah. that I was 20 years old and fucking surprised that black people were racist. Yeah. You know? Um, and that, and that's what the media wants the world to think. Yeah. I, I, I don't, in any way want to encourage racism, but I will say this, there is something refreshing and something that I appreciate about a black person or maybe even a white person just being like, yeah, I'm racist. Mm. Cause then at least you know where the person stands, you know? Yeah, honestly. Um, honestly, yeah. And like that, that's just completely squashed in our culture. You, if you have feelings that are outside of the, you know, they're aberrant. You know what I mean? You're mm. not allowed to have them. And if you have them, you better not share them. Mm. Um, and I don't agree. I just don't agree with that. Yes, it's going to make me like not like certain people, I guess. You know, like th- if people were like, I don't like black people, that's going to be a sound clip. <laughs> but uh, if, if somebody said that. So is my laugh afterwards. <laughs> if somebody said that, I would not really want to be friends with that person. If somebody was like just solely based on the color of somebody's skin, I do not want to associate with them. You're dumb. Like, I mean, you're, you're just a dumb person. So I want to know who the dumb people are, you know, like that, that's, that's been my thing the entire time. See, this is part of why I think capitalism is so important. Um, part of our, of our culture, Mm -hmm. uh, is because it's difficult to be racist or it's difficult to put your prejudices ahead of profits. So it's like, if I have something to sell, what am I not going to sell it to a black person? Yeah. If I'm going to do business, what am I not going to do business with a black person? They, their money is as green as anybody else's. Yes, indeed. So in a capitalist system, you kind of, you kind of open up the possibility of interactions uh, in different levels of your life to anybody. It's a democratic thing. It's beautiful. But, but the left, the ones that are pu- pushing socialism and communism, that doesn't exist there. Yeah. That doesn't exist That's there. True. The government, the government can just put you can just put you in it's a, it's a self-contained little pocket. That's a and, great point. And you'll never you'll never interact with the other people. Well, you know, in um, like the Bolshevik Revolution, in, these people who are current leftists today, they look up to those people, but they also these current people value like racial equality. Lenin was racist as fuck. As fuck. I mean, they, these people hated gay people. They hated Jews. They, I mean, you know, they like tolerated Jews in the revolution because, you know, in that era, that bullshit, you know, all of those, the Bolshevik revolution, the Zionist revolution, they were competing for oh, members yeah. of this revolution. They needed the people. So people like Lenin 
tolerated Jews. And Stalin, before he died, was getting ready to do a giant purge of Jewish people. But for some reason, these people are still held up in some kind of regard. Maybe Stalin a little bit less, yeah, but not much. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that funny how there is um, a, a level of forgiveness, uh, like, like cultural forgiveness because of the time? Right, it's like, oh, that was a very different time. So we can forgive, we can forgive Stalin and Lenin of their of their you know their anti-gay and their racist tendencies, but we but those same people don't give that forgiveness to the founding fathers. George fucking Washington. <laughs> George fucking Washington. Yeah. it's ridiculous. Oh, God. And it, so, you know, we've uh, like the people today. They have this appreciation for Stalin, and maybe. Maybe they like try to put a little bit of a damper on that because, you know, you know, even though he killed way more people than Hitler, he, you know, he killed a bunch of people. But for some reason, we sweep that under the rug. So but again, maybe they put a little bit of a damper on the Stalin appreciation because of that. Uh, but back, if you go back to like when Stalin was alive, they didn't. And Michael Malice brought this up in that that Jordan Peterson thing is that these people talked you know built Stalin up to be some kind of hero and never ever had to apologize for it and they still have not had to apologize for it and that's why they get away with just putting this little damper on the the Stalin thing you know mm. uh and that aspect of our culture I think has got to go I think yeah. we gotta we gotta weed that shit out <laughs> yeah the, um, I, I remember when people started wearing Shea t shirts yeah that, fucking monster yeah like, like no, nobody ever said shit about that um, it would be like, it would, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it would be like, you know, if you saw, a, if you saw like a college kid wearing a, <laughs> wearing a Hitler t-shirt, you know, yeah. like suppose there was some, some explanation that, that, that would justify a college kid, you know, an idealistic college kid to wear a Hitler t-shirt. Well, I don't know what that, ex what that might be, but imagine, yeah. um, that if that were, if that become fashionable and you had some, you know. Big fashion icon from New York who, who has a Rocking you know a, a runway a runway yeah yeah like a, a you know high fashion Hitler T-shirt that that today if that happened, uh, they, I mean they they, they well, would be up in arms the media would be they would destroy them. Remember when Prince Harry dressed up as Hitler for Halloween? Ooh yeah I remember. Now that you I, bring it up, is it insensitive? Yeah, I guess it's insensitive. But I just don't, I mean, again, you got the Che Guevara things up all over the place. And you're right, nobody ever does say anything about that. But do you remember the head shop slash biker store that I worked in yeah. down in Columbus? Yeah. One time I was out in the front of that place and he had a Che Guevara flag up. And uh, the guy who owned that place, in my estimation, had like no ideological, like he would hang up whatever was going to sell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, whatever. Uh, but some guy came up, he like pulled up into the parking lot. He was like, oh, why the fuck do you have that flag up there, that Che? And he was fucking pissed. And at this point, I really didn't know who Che was, you know? Oh, like, yeah, I just yeah. knew that he was the cool dude with the beret, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, I don't know, man. It's not my store. That's like basically all I said to him. <laughs> but I, I, I've, ever since I, rem or like really discovered what Che was all about and what that whole Cuban revolution was all about, I like appreciate that dude, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Because yeah. and that would have been, I mean, that, I, I mean that's not like crazy unheard of type of thing to happen today. But but you know, back when you were talking about you know that 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 would have been some like random, <laughs> random disgruntled conservative who you know who saw that and got a fire in his belly. It was like oh, I'm yeah. pulling over. Fuck this. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. Uh, oh boy. So we were going to talk about edibles. Oh yeah. So I I don't really have much on the that. The incredible <laughs> edible pot. <coughs> the incredible edible Delta Eight. Um, so I got some of the uh, chocolate bar with that Delta Eight stuff, and I just told you that I would report back uh, because I have this thing with edible marijuana where it doesn't work on me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and well, it works, but I have to eat a lot of it. And I told the guy that at the at the store, he was like, "Oh man, you're." I'm telling you, the stuff's really strong. And I took it home and I ate it. I ate one, like he said I should. Uh, and then an hour later, I ate another one, didn't feel anything. Then like a few days later, I ate two at the same time, didn't feel anything. Um, so nothing good. Nothing oh, good. Oh, you should have ate them all. I, I, I've, got, I've got the rest of them, so I think one of these days I am just going to eat them all. But, yeah, you should. Just eat them all. Just yeah. eat them all. Because I've seen it work on you, but it t- I'm trying to remember if uh, what it was that you ate, if it was like homemade cookies. It or was cookies. I'm pretty sure you ate one cookie and I ate four cookies. Okay. And those were those were gnarly. So yeah. so yeah, like so the amount for you that you need is just way higher than a regular human I don't, person. It sucks, um, but at least I could smoke it. It's a, that still works. Speaking of speaking of chocolate, um, I have a similar story. Something I wanted to tell you. It has to do with uh, psilocybin in a chocolate bar, okay. which is a thing now. Yeah. Um, and uh, so this is not homemade. This is like a this is like a you know corporate produced product, like a carefully produced product. Yep. So I have an experience on this uh, psilocybin that was very similar to something from DMT that I that I was uh, surprised to have experienced, and it and so I don't know if you have if you know what I mean if this is some has been a part of your DMT experience, but there's this there's this shadow shadow thing, and for me it's it comes in two forms either like a shadowy person without features like a human per- shadow it looks kind of like what what our uh, podcast logo looks like it's okay. like a shadowy form of a person but no details but it also comes in this wispy form it's like a cloudy wispy thing floating in the air i know the wispy form okay um so i saw that um again with with, with a dmt experience it is not an uncommon thing uh but i but i never experienced it any other way uh, this time, though, from psilocybin, I saw the same thing. Hmm. And, and the reason that I pointed out, the reason it's memorable at all is because I never expected to see it anywhere other than a DMT experience. Gotcha. So here you got two different, very different types of psychedelic experiences, and this visual just happened to be pretty consistent. It was, it was pretty much the same experience. That's interesting. And it came in the form of light coming through the window. And it's associated with, in the DMT experience, it's associated with me with light. So okay. like uh, if I'm laying on the couch and there's like a lamp on, I'll see this wispiness hanging around the light. It's almost like there's a substance and weight to the light, almost like a cloud, but, but, oh, yeah. but more see-through than a cloud. And there are instances where you will see, if you get close enough to it, you will see shapes in it. So it's like this, it's like this transparent-looking wispiness, and if you focus on it enough in the right conditions, you'll see moving shapes in it, very much like the fractals we were talking about, uh, the full-blown DMT fractals we were talking about. Okay. So this was like that light coming through the window at an angle. It was like, uh, it almost looked like a, like somebody was holding a, um, uh, a sheet, but I could see through it. And there were these lines, these like geometrical lines that, that were on it, and it almost looked like it was moving. Like if I tried to focus on it, my eyes would just move off of it, like like it, like my eyes were running on a treadmill. And uh, and then eventually I got 
a little more focused on the details of it and I started seeing shapes in it and I was like, oh man, that's exactly like the DMT experience. So two different chemicals, two different uh, like modes of action, you know, like mm-hmm. there's no, as far as I know, no direct relationship between those chemicals and, and that visual was uh, basically the same. I thought it was very strange. I wasn't, is- I wasn't expecting it. That's weird. And I think it's weird because, and this is something I was thinking about when you were describing that too, because, you know, sometimes you'll have a trip and I remember the first time I tripped with Matt, he he kept, we both did. We both kept like wanting to just like, like, look at this, you know, but he's not going to see it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. Um, So when you were talking about your trip, it was weird to me because I was like, I've experienced some of that stuff. And it's Uh. not the, well, there is a visual aspect of it, but the first part of it is that, you know, like you said, it was like a shadowy thing or a wispy thing. And I've definitely experienced the wispy thing. But another way that I would describe it is that it's just a presence that is all around me. Yes. I like I don't know if it's wispy or but it's just everywhere and you couldn't escape it if you wanted mm. to. So going back to the, circling back to the beginning of this conversation, mm-hmm. we were talking about language. So, I, you know, the audience can't see us talking, but I'm looking at you in the eyes. when We're yeah. talking and I can see that when I when I was describing it. Uh, you were listening intently. You were probably kind of trying to imagine it. As soon as I said wispy, something clicked. Yeah, man. It was like the word made you like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Yep. Isn't that weird? Because the shadowy thing didn't do it for me. Like, yes. I didn't really, that was not my thing. But the wispy, but I remember one time I did DMT and I was listening to Sturgill Simpson and it wasn't even a blast off DMT experience, but... I was definitely almost there, and it was very wispy. That's that's yes. the best way I know how to. I mean, I don't know. It's a strange word. Like, how often do you ever heard that word? But yeah. it, it came to me, and that's what did. That's what triggered it for you. The, uh, but yeah, like I said, I would describe it as a presence even more, yep. and um, so that was weird to me. And another thing is when you were talking about the light, um, I've not like seen like things moving in the light or anything Mm. like that but i have seen light coming through um you know like a curtain like a beam of light in a room you know like you'd see just on a regular day yep um and felt like the light was matter like it was like yes real more real than it normally is yes yes i don't know okay do you know how if you ever like look through mostly closed eyes like sometimes in a bright room or something where you can see like shadows of your eyelashes mm. kind of through your eyelids or something it's like a shadow of it um it just this doesn't look like it's ringing a bell to you but there's an experience like that that reminds me of how i see the shapes coming out of the light it's like if you if your eyes aren't entirely focused on it then then the sharpness of those of those details come out oh i see what you mean and the other weird thing about it is when it it moves and when it when the when the shapes move it doesn't seem, uh, it seems random, maybe not random, it seems intentional. It seems like, it's not like a mechanical movement, it's not like a back and forth, up and down, like a patterned movement, it's, it seems to be random. It almost seems like it's moving, it seems like when I try to look at it and examine it, oh. that it's examining me. And, oh, you, and you can see- I didn't think that, go ahead, yes, I'm sorry. Like the way, the way that, like, try to imagine like a, I don't know. I, 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 I'm trying to think of a visual here, but just imagine something visual, like 
as a child, something that's magical that you've never seen before. And you're just looking at it carefully and you're like looking all around at different angles, trying to understand what it is. And you're fascinated. Mm -hmm. You're just like in awe of this thing, trying to understand it. This is, this is what that experience is like. Um, and, and it's like, you can, you can imagine yourself move, like squinting your eyes and moving your head at different angles, the way a dog might, if it's confused, that's what it's doing to me. When I can see this light and I can see that level of detail and I can see it moving, it looks like it's examining me. Hmm. And the thing about that, that, that the reason I bring that part up is because you said it's like a presence all around you. Hmm. And the thing that I always say about it is that it looks like it's far away and right in my face, like right in my face, so close to my face that when I look at it, my eyes cross, like I'm trying to look at the tip of my nose. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's far away and close. And it's in those areas where I, can, where I am focusing on it close. That's when I see the details in it. And it's hard to do because your eyes will cross or, you know, it's difficult. Um, there was something else I wanted to say about that. Oh, that the feeling I finally got from that is that it's not that it's that it's far away and it's close to my face. It's that I am not different from it. The thing that I'm seeing all around me, like you described, far and near, it's also the thing I am. Yeah. So that's another one of those instances where uh, the, the mystic experience seems like it's trying to tell you something. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, because I do think that The things that I, I feel like I've learned from a mystic experience, it's not like this wispy being is whispering them in my ear. Right. It's that I'm seeing messages, you know, uh, and I'm interpreting them, and everyone else is interpreting those messages to mean the same thing for some reason. Everyone who has yeah. this experience is interpreting it the same way. It's exactly. It, it reminds me of, like, you ever see a picture that's, like, designed to, to have all sorts of meaning to be read in, into, like, a tarot card, like if you're looking at a tarot card, um, you know, whatever, it's got a moon, it's got a, a person in a certain outfit, he's holding a certain thing in his hands. It's like all of those little details have some meaning. So you can stare at this picture and you can, you can think of all sorts of stories that the picture tells. You just read into it, whatever the meaning is, that there's something like that when you have an experience like that, a, a psychedelic experience. It's like an image that has all this meaning in it that you have to figure out. That's the message. It's not like you're being told the message. It's like you're. It's like you've been you've been given the the picture that you can tease the message out of. You know it's important because there's a fucking picture. Yeah. The picture must mean something, and you got to figure out what the meaning is. And to me, the idea that there's no difference between myself and this wispiness that I can see all around me, <coughs> uh, it's it's it, to me it's telling me that there's not a difference between um, between between the material world and, and consciousness that, yeah. that the things I'm seeing all around me and the things that, and the thing that I am is in this case, the wispiness, it's one thing. Yep. Yeah. Fucking a man. Fucking a feel like, uh, it's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yep. It's one thing. Well, there you have it. That's one Avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode. 